may have noticed things are a little different this week. We're taking a break from our normally scheduled entertainment for you to enjoy an episode of our show within a podcast, Philosophical Wax, in which our friendly neighborhood DM bloviates on a topic near and dear to D&D. FYI, this was originally done on Facebook Live. If you follow us on the social meds, you'll get the latest news on the next one. Now, let's hit it and crit it. Okay, we are going to go ahead and get started. Hello, everybody. It is I, your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, Sam, and I am here for another episode of Philosophical Wax, our little series within a podcast. Uh, This one is called The Anatomy of a Boss Fight. You can feel free to chime in with questions and comments anytime during. I will do my best to to address them as we go. Uh, Fair warning, spoiler alert, this episode will heavily reference the fight with Elder Zone. So if you haven't seen that uh, or heard it yet, I don't know how you would have seen it, uh, heard it. Obviously, this is a podcast. Uh, If you haven't heard it yet, you know, maybe uh, either take this with a large grain of salt or just wait and listen to it later. Uh, You have been warned. So, as I said, the gang recently fought and defeated that which will rise to ruin, the Deep Wrath itself, Elder Zone. It was a long battle uh, with sort of, you know, a couple of phases that it went through, uh, and I thought it might be helpful for me to sort of break down the process of how I designed that battle, You came up with the entire concept, and then went through it itself. Uh, and I just thought it might be helpful in you planning your own boss battles, should you be interested in dungeon mastering at some point in your own future. So, here we go. Uh, Step one is figure out your bad guy. Uh, I had decided very early on that my big bad was going to be a beholder. Uh, The reason that I decided that was because I got this miniature, and it was awesome, and I decided that I wanted to use it. So... That's what I did. Uh, It was kind of an easy choice. Uh, It it fit in, and once I had that bit of inspiration, I sort of designed everything else around it. Um, I started doing a lot of research on Beholders themselves, so reading all the stuff that's in the Monster Manual, all the stuff that's in Volo's Guide, really trying to find out what makes them tick, what are the big personality traits of them, just all that kind of stuff. What makes them important? Why Why should anyone care about them? And what makes them dangerous, too? Um, so that was, that was part one, just figuring out what I wanted them ultimately to fight uh, and why. Part two uh, is figuring out where that fight is going to happen. This is something that you can do very early on, or you might want to wait and do it a little bit later, because things will change. Uh, Decisions that your party makes, uh, especially my party, are things you just can't always, you know, predict. So you don't know what's going to happen. But I will say this, the very first incarnation that I put together for Elder Zone's Lair was very different from what it ended up being. Uh, His original sort of uh, digs looked a lot more like an ant colony. Uh, there were a whole bunch of successive chambers sort of going deeper and deeper underground. And each one had a purpose. Those purposes all got more important the closer you got to his sanctum itself. And But ultimately, they were all just like rough excavated caves. Uh, you know, nothing finished, certainly no grand city or anything like that. 
And his original sanctum alongside of all of it was just this like big square room with a, a platform in it. It was kind of like a throne, except he floats, he doesn't sit. So different, you know, he had these two Nothics, uh, these guys, he had these two Nothics that were sort of like on chains at his side, like dogs. Uh, and then there were a couple of trolls, these guys, uh, that were, uh, just like standing guard at the doors. And other than that, the room was basically like a big cube, you know, there was like height so he could float if he wanted to, but it was pretty bare bones to be honest. Um, Fun fact, that was actually what it looked like up until the party made it to the mountain Verseorsa. Um, had they followed the cultists they kept seeing when they were leaving uh, Bastafier, they would have eventually ended up in that that layer uh, and following through, they would have met Elderzone then. He wouldn't have killed them. He would have just like knocked them out and dumped them outside the city, not considering them a threat. Um, but that's what it would have looked like, and we never would have made it to the city of Candeloth at all. Um, so I don't think that would have been terrible, but I do think that where we got was better in the end. I think it was better for the story overall. Um, regardless... Uh, as they were, they didn't follow those threads that I had dropped for them and they left. So I had a lot more time to sort of think about what I wanted. And that's when I came up with this idea for having these four great lost cities from the time when, you know, magic broke the land. Um, and I just thought it'd be way cooler for Elder Zone to have landed in one of those. Uh, so that's when I came up with Candeloth. I rewrote a whole bunch of stuff to say that Caneloth was this, like, sunken city that now exists beneath the city of Bastafier, and it was a long, long time ago, and you, you, you know, you, you obviously listened, so I don't need to explain that. Uh, but I had to rewrite just, like, a metric ton of stuff at that point, um, because I had completely torpedoed everything I had prepared beforehand. Luckily, the party was very far away from this location at this point, so I had plenty of time. Um, but it actually came pretty easily. Once I sort of nailed down that idea, it just kind of flowed and flowed and flowed, and I came up with this whole huge, just, like, ginormous city of Candeloth, which is roughly the size of the island of Manhattan, um, and mapped it all out and figured out where everything was and what the entrances were, what the exits were, sort of what the whole deal was and all the stuff that could happen there. Um, and once I had that all sort of worked out, I then had to decide, like, where is Elder Zone in all of this? Like, did he just land in the middle of the city? Did he land somewhere specific? And it just made sense that Caneloth was a city of knowledge and Elder Zone would land in the library and that that's, that's where he soaked up everything that he knows. So his sanctum would be that library and the library would be the biggest building in the entire city. Uh, so once I had that decided, then I had to figure out more stuff, right? So I know where it's going to take place, but I still need to figure out what that looks like. And a lot of that came to figuring out what, beholder or rather how beholders fight what do they do um they primarily attack with their eye beams uh and they can float so it's got to have a lot of opportunities for sight lines and it's got to have at least what i wanted was a lot of opportunities for verticality um 
it was those were both things that I really wanted to to play with. So I printed out some uh, graph paper and I just started sketching and I came up with this room full of bookshelves. Uh, and this this is actually the very sketch that I did uh, when I was coming up with everything. So it was a whole bunch of bookshelves, and at first they were five-foot bookshelves, and then I realized, no, it makes more sense if they're ten-foot bookshelves. I'd like to have the party be able to, like, hide behind them if need be. Uh, there was a point where the battle, in my mind, was going to be this sort of cat-and-mouse game of Elder's Own stalking them through the shelves, um, which still could have happened. It was an option. Uh, it's just sort of not how it played out, because the they flew into the room. Um, but, uh, so I wanted to have all of these separated bookshelves, each 20 feet long and 10 feet high. Um, so that the party could sort of have a chance to hide, you know, I didn't want them to come in and just have it be a slaughter. It could have just been a big empty room. And then he hits them with his anti-magic beam and then just raise the hell out of them. Uh, but that wouldn't be any fun. I wanted them to have a chance. They gotta have a chance. And uh, so I had sort of written that all out. I added the dais in the middle uh, so that Elder Zone would sort of have like his raised position that he could see everything from, but there'd still be opportunities to hide around the room. And then I admittedly went a little bit extra and I made all that 3D terrain for the, um, for the library. Uh, it was... Just something that, that for me, since, you know, we, we do make a show that is for entertainment purposes, uh, I wanted there to be that little sort of extra element of theatricality to add some fun to it. So I made a whole bunch of bookcases that all look like this. Uh, so these are the, the 10 foot tall, 20 foot wide or 20 foot long bookcases uh, that they all got to walk through. And then I made Elder Zone's dais as well. So this was the raised thing that was in the center of the room. Uh, and it was fun. And I think it added a really interesting element to that fight for us uh, because it made it made everything feel that much more real. Heavy air quotes on that, obviously. It was all super fake, but it just felt a little more real. Um, and mechanically, it made it a lot easier to figure out the sight lines for everything uh, so that we actually could tell, you know, what was in range, who could actually see what was going on, um, which was very useful because it was a lot of like long range fighting and we needed to know who could be hit by something. And it's a lot easier when you're not theater of the minding, that kind of stuff. Uh, I will say that it took a lot of time and a lot of cardboard and a lot of hot glue. Uh, it was fun for me. I enjoy doing that stuff. Uh, it was also completely unnecessary, and you don't need to do that for your boss battles. If you want to, if you have the, the time and wherewithal, absolutely go for it. Um, I think it adds a really fun layer uh, for your players to see stuff like that. You know, this was only my... I don't know, maybe third or fourth time playing with 3D terrain. I've made, um, you know, I've tried other stuff. I've done a lot of uh, paper miniatures like I did for uh, the original Bastafir battle and for the shack on Verisayorsa. And then I made the, the Lego um, destroyed sort of hamlet uh, for when they were coming back from the mountain. 
This was my first time with cardboard. Uh, I managed to make it through without any paper cuts, which I was very proud of. Um, but my hands did dry out horrifically. So be warned if you want to play with that. But it does add a very fun element that I think is worth it. So uh, you figured out your bad guy. You figured out where your fight is going to take place. Uh, part three is figuring out how your bad guy is going to fight, right? Uh, what do I already know about Beholders? I know that they fight mainly with their eye rays and they can float. Great. That's not tactics, though. That's just the abilities that they have. So as the story progressed closer and closer, um, something that I realized was, you know, looking back over all of the encounters that I had planned, none of them were really that difficult. You know, they they did force my players to sort of think that much more about what they were doing, but it never really seemed like they were actually having all that much trouble. You know, they may have some bad rolls here and there, but it was very rare that anyone got, like, knocked unconscious or that Yarfik even had to heal anyone during battle. So I decided that I wanted to make things that much more complicated, um, because I wanted this fight to be epic. You know, I think that's important. Uh, first thing I did was I looked at the basic stats of the Beholder, uh, and I decided to bump some things here and there. Um, the spell save DC for Beholder is normally 16. I upped it to 17. Uh, and the fly speed for a Beholder is normally just 20 feet per round, and I upped it to 40 feet. I wanted Elder Zone to be more mobile, and I wanted his hits to really hit. Um, the other issue is something that's sort of a general issue with 5th edition D&D, and that's action economy. Um, action economy is literally how many actions each side of a battle gets in one round. So if you have a party of five adventurers, they are often going to have an advantage, especially when they're fighting a single creature, because they're getting, you know, five attacks per round all against one thing, and that creature, even if it has multiple attacks, you know, maybe two or three, it's still got to either spread those out, so it's not doing as much damage to the, the party as a whole, or focus in on one, which means there are still four party members who are untouched. Um, so, you know, it's kind of hard to mitigate stuff like that. Uh, Beholders do get multiple attacks on their turn, and they have legendary actions, uh, which allow them to, to do stuff at the end of other players' turns, um, which sort of helps. There are also layer actions, things that the layer does to protect the Beholder, but at the end of the day, it's still just a single creature that all of this aggravation is being focused on. So they have the opportunity to get whittled down very quickly, even if they are dealing out a lot of damage. Um, so all that stuff is great, still leaves the party focusing all this damage on just this one creature. So I decided that I was going to add some minions in the hopes that the fight will just stretch out, be a little bit longer. Um, but I had to figure out what minions made sense, right? I'd already looked at a lot of the research that I had done as far as what kinds of minions beholders often have, and those are all things that I'd kind of used already. You know, the, the Nothics were already out patrolling the city. The trolls were already something that, that Elder Zone had sort of like bent to his will and allied with. Um, even the Yuan-Ti were, were all the, the snake bros. I had basically just co-opted them to be snake bros and the, the cult itself. But I didn't just want to like call up a greatest hits of a bunch of stuff we've already seen. So 
I went back to the books. There's all this great stuff, and it all exists there. I just looked up basically all the beholder-like creatures and figured, well, what what would be here? What you know? What sort of makes sense as like a smaller version of what we're looking at? That's going to be a bit of a nuisance to the party, but won't necessarily tip the odds in Elder Zone's favor. You know, I just wanted something that would make the party have to choose where their next attack is going to go. And that's when I decided on these two. I decided on the Gazer, which are the the little, little, they're little teeny beholder guys. And then the Spectator, uh, which are bigger. So for frame of reference, the Gazer, you're saying about the size of a volleyball, maybe. And then the Spectator, probably more like the size of a beach ball. Um... And they're both smaller than Beholders. They have very similar abilities, uh, and they're they're like you know they're on brand. They're within the theme, so it made sense for to choose those things. Um, but now that I had these things chosen, I had to figure out like why are they there? Are they just hanging around? What's the in-universe reason that these things show up? Because I didn't just want to be like, oh, all, all of a sudden you have to fight this now. Go do it. Um, because I, I don't know, I just, I, I like there to be a purpose for this kind of stuff. So again, I went back to my research. Uh, beholders, you may not know this, happen to reproduce by having bad dreams. It's literally a beholder, has a nightmare, and it coalesces this little baby beholder into existence. So I decided that basically at certain HP thresholds when Elder Zone was getting hit, he'd be briefly knocked unconscious, and just in that moment of, like, anger and, and unawareness, uh, he would birth unto the world, you know, these little danger babies, uh, that all of a sudden the party has to fight. Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms Code Time. Here we go. D. O. G. Y. J. O. L. E H A P S. That code again is Dogie Joel Haps, and it's good until March 10th. We're keeping our fingers crossed for a feat. Now, back to the show. Um, so I've got his actions down. He's just doing raise for days, using his legendary actions as much as possible. He's going to float up and try to get sort of out of the party's reach so that he can just rain hell down upon them, essentially. And then at two points throughout the battle, he'll be joined by these little friends of his. Um, but wait, now I need to figure out what happens at the end of all of this, right? There's There's got to be something that happens afterwards. Uh, what kind of loot does he have? What else is in the room? Is there a clear uh, path to safety for the party? There has to be, you know, an end case. Um, so one of the things I knew that I wanted in the room was a large diamond, uh, so that in the untimely event of the death of a party member, Yarfik would have the material components for a resurrection. Uh, normally we hand wave material components because I don't care, uh, you know, they're they're a MacGuffin for the most part. It's just kind of annoying. I don't want to be like, oh, you can't cast that spell. You don't have any mistletoe. Um, so anything that's super cheap, I, you know, whatever. Uh, but there are spells that have, like, very expensive components, and they are uh, things that I do want to honor in those cases because those spells are important and they have weight and you shouldn't just be able to like fling out true resurrection left and right uh, just because it's on your spell list. You should be, you know, you should have, there should be a cost associated with it. Um, 
So if someone died, I wanted to make sure that they had the opportunity to resurrect them. Of course, provided they could find it, they still have to, you know, I'm not just giving it to them. They have to find it somewhere. Uh, after that, I thought, you know, money is always good. We all love finding money on the things that we kill. That's a real life fact. Um, so I threw in some platinum bars for them. Uh, and then I sort of had this other thought, like, I don't want to give them any more magic items. They just got a ton of magic items. They got the stuff they got from Quaylar. They got the stuff they got from the well the reliquary. They got the stuff they got from Tizo's Sanctum, all the stuff they rescued from there. So they are like drowning in magic items right now. They don't need any more. But I still wanted to like give them something cool to get alongside of it. So I decided to add this magic book. Uh, uh, which is literally called Hidden Magics. Um, and I, but I didn't know what I wanted it to do. Uh, point of fact, I still don't know what I want it to do. Uh, so I decided that it was blank and that it would take a lot of research to decipher what it is, um, which I think is like a fun thing, especially for, for Eowyn, uh, for her to have to figure out what's going on. Uh, but mostly it just gives me a lot of time to figure out what it does, so I don't have to deal with it right now. Uh, but it was like... A cool thing. Uh, of course, for those who actually listen to the episodes, you know that they never even stopped to search the body, so they never found any of this stuff. Doesn't matter, but I wanted to be prepared if they did. Uh, so I've got my loot figured out. The other thing that I needed to figure out was, given Ildov's history of soul collection within the story, I knew, I just knew, if she was the one that landed the killing blow on Elder Zone that Elder's own soul would tip the scales and that that would, you know, set about this series of events. But there was no guarantee that she would land the killing blow. It's, it's a one in six chance. There are five party members. Olash gets two attacks. So if they each do an attack action in the round, it's one in six chance. Um, so, but I had to prepare for that nonetheless, because if it did happen, I didn't want to get caught with my pants down and just have to bullshit it. Not that I couldn't, uh, but I think it would, it's just one of those things that's kind of like an epic enough thing that it's better suited by being prepared for it. Uh, so I had thankfully long ago decided what Shyok was. Shyok is a Glabrazu, which is this guy right here is his little demon guy with the big pinster claws and uh, and, you know, that kind uh, Jake Gyllenhaal-esque emotional intelligence uh, that we all know and love. Um, so I just needed to figure out sort of what the ritual looked like and how his character was going to be handled. Um, and I came up with this whole thing about how it forms this, like, ethereal circle and these abyssal runes appear. And then he sort of, like, comes out and forms over Ildov like she's wearing him like armor. Um and I was like, this is really cool. I hope this happens. I can't guarantee it will happen. But now I've got all of this stuff ready, right? I know what my bad guy is. I know where the fight is taking place. I know what the tactics for that bad guy are. And I have sort of the falling action all planned. So what's the next step? Next step is fight. Uh, my tactics are all planned. I had dialogue options written out just in case they wanted to talk to him. It was time to roll the dice. So the party starts in with their plan, uh, which, of course, we all remember was launching Cassian into the room and uh, using Aja's tear uh, to cast Sunburst. And this was kind of the first moment, at least for me, that I realized exactly how 
powerful the weapon I had given him was. Uh, and it became very apparent uh, very quickly as the battle progressed that the party was reliably doing a lot more damage to Elder Zone than I had anticipated, uh, and kind of a lot more damage than he was doing to them as well. You know, he was doing, uh, because his rays are rolled randomly, it was a lot of, like, petrification or stunning or slowing, but not a lot of actual damage spells. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, Ildov did get knocked unconscious at one point. It's not like he didn't do any damage. Uh, but overall, if you, like, add up the party members' HP, he wasn't really doing a lot to them if you treated them as, like, one entity. Um... So the battle's moving along, and uh, it kind of gets to a point where I, on my end, I just called an audible, and I decided to double Elder Zone's health in the middle of the battle. Um, I knew that if the fight was too short, it just wouldn't be satisfying. You know, I wanted it to have real stakes. I wanted the party to really be afraid that they could die, and I wanted beating Elder Zone to feel like a real accomplishment. Um, one of the things that I just, I always tell players before I start a game with them is, uh, that it's not me versus you, right? We're not, I'm not trying to win Dungeons and Dragons. We are working together to tell a story collaboratively, but at the same time, I'm not here to pull punches and make it easy for you, right? I want it, everything you earn to feel earned. Um, so I decided to make the fight harder. And it was just one of those things where, you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy or whatever that quote is. Um, and I needed to change it on the spot. And I not only did I bump his HP, I actually also changed the HP that I had set for the gazer and the spectator. Uh, I was originally just going to have each of them be like 10 HP flat, you know, like one or two hits will take them down. I didn't want them to have a ton of staying power. I didn't need them to be around for the entire battle, just sort of be annoying for the party um but then i realized like with the damage numbers they're putting out i wanted them to last you know a little longer than like one or two hits um even if it's just to give elder zone that like brief reprieve to make sure that he gets time to do stuff too and when i did that i i very briefly had this thought of like am i doing the right thing is this is this okay or am i just you know bullshitting because I don't want this to be short. And in retrospect, I don't regret it at all. I think that fight uh, was super fun for everybody involved. Everybody got to have a cool moment where they got to do something. Um, you know, uh, Cassian got to, to do Sunburst and Sunbeam, and that Sunbeam was super clutch for the entire battle. Uh, Ildov got to land the killing blow. Um, Yarfik actually got to heal people uh, and, you know, lifted Ildov up from being unconscious. Uh, he also got lifted up himself and dropped to the ground when he got caught in the telekinetic beam. Uh, Eowyn got to use her fire sphere and do a lot of damage from afar. And Olash got to sort of keep... Uh, you know, Elder Zone's attention on her. Um, so like everybody, everybody got to play their role in a way. Uh, and I think everybody was also like unsure if they would survive the fight. So I think, I think it was the right decision. Um, and in the end, Ildov getting that killing blow was really just the icing on the cake. And I assure you, I didn't fudge anything. That was 100% uh, 
the way it all shook out, Elderzone had three hit points left when she Eldritch blasted him. If Olash had hit with even just one of her hand axes on the previous turn, the lowest possible damage roll would have killed him, and Shyok never would have been birthed upon the world. Um, so in a way, it's Nicole's fault. Um, everything after that is history. Shyok was, you know, birthed upon the world, uh, and... And then he started starting shit. He got outside and sent the guards in on them, which meant that they couldn't loot the room and see what kind of stuff they got. And there's just sort of this mad race to get to the airship itself. Um, so that's pretty much the roadmap of the battle. And it's something that you can adapt to, to anything. You know, you have step one, which is figure out what your bad guy is. That's really the most important step. You have to know what they're going to fight. Uh, you have to figure out your battlefield. So where is that fight going to happen? Figure out your tactics. You know what's fighting, you know where they're fighting, but how are they going to fight? What's specific to them? Are they going to stay far away? Are they going to get up close? Um, are they just going to command minions to fight for them? You know, not every bad guy has to do all the work themselves. There are a lot of bad guys even in human history, that are just like, you know, they use their cult of personality to do all the dirty work for them, and they don't get their hands their hands wet. Um, and uh, then, then step four, so you have the fight. And don't be afraid to improvise a little. As long as everything you do is designed to keep the fight fun for everyone that's involved. Um, I really think that that fun for everyone is the most important thing. You know, there are... A lot of DMs, you you can read all of these horror stories all over the internet of people who they're just trying to kill characters and they're trying to win. And as I said before, like, that's not, that's just not the way that I play. It's not the way I want to play. I don't think that's fun. Um, would I have had fun if I killed one of them? Sure. I think that would have been a very interesting way to go about all of it, but uh, I don't rue that it didn't happen by any stretch um that's pretty much what i had prepared for you all today folks uh thank you all for joining me um if you came in late or missed any of this at any point this is actually going to be our podcast episode for this week because uh, we couldn't get everybody together to record and i am no longer interested in not having people around for the episodes i think we're at a point where things are a little too important um but I will leave you with this. There is some some news in the improvised weapons uh, family, uh, family being the important word, uh, because my wife and I are expecting a baby. Um, we are due at the end of August, uh, and we are very, very excited. Uh, what that means for the show, we don't know yet. My hope and goal is that I will be able to keep everything going and at least build up a, enough of a backlog that I don't need to take a break. Uh, but if I do need to take a break, you know, it happens. Uh, trust me when I say that it's for the best possible reason. Um, so don't worry about it. Uh, if anything, it's a great reason for you to go to patreon.com slash IWVTcast and consider supporting the show. Um, 
So think about that one. Uh, otherwise, uh, I just want to say thank you all for joining me. Uh, I hope you found something useful in this. As always, you can follow us on all the things at IWVTCast. You can email us at improvisedweaponsvt at gmail.com, uh, which you should do. We will respond, I promise. I'm the one who runs the email, so it's basically me doing it. Uh, if you have questions about any of the stuff I said in this, or even if you are planning your own encounter and you're wondering how that's all going to go, uh, and you're just looking for some outside insight, please get in touch. Uh, I am very happy to, uh, to, to put my spin on it uh, and help you out, because I want everybody to have fun playing D&D. It's a super fun time. Um, so... Uh, I will say that signing off, uh, tends to be pretty awkward. Um, bye. Well, he already kind of said most of it. This feels weird. Uh, follow us on the things and email us at the place, I guess. You know, check out the other podcasts from Puma Knife at TeamPumaKnife.com. Um, oh, one thing he didn't say was get in touch and let us know what you'd like to hear our friendly neighborhood DM talk about on the next episode of Philosophical Wax. Jeez, I'm so off my rhythm. Uh, guess I should do the usual stuff. Uh, review the show, go to Patreon.com slash IWVTCast, go to DumpstatTees.com and use the promo code IWPOD. Edit our wiki at iwvt.fandom.com. Uh, insert a joke here. All the music in this episode was written and recorded by Adam Rabin. Adam just wrote, recorded, and produced an entire album in the month of February, and it should be coming out any day now. Check him out at imadeitup.com for the latest news. You can find out more about the video game Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms at codenameentertainment.com and be on the lookout each week for a code for a free in-game gold chest. Tune in next time as we get back to the party on the boat. The, par the party boat? Party boat. Woo! Party boat! We'll see you on the next episode of Improvised Weapons. This has been a Puma Knife production.